preaching on here. It says, fleeing sexual immorality. Yes. Um, some people would say that's a pretty tall order. Uh, some people would say, that's impossible. You know, you'd have to lock me in a dungeon. And then I still might not be able to flee sexual immorality just because of the things going on in my mind. Other people would say, why would you even want to do it? There's too much pleasure in it to flee it. Ephesians chapter 5, we're getting back to uh, that book after spending some time on seeking the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not grieving the Spirit. Uh, A guy said to me once, he says, uh, I said, I thought I saw you running on the road. He said, no, look, if you ever see me running, it's because somebody's chasing me and they mean to do me harm. Uh, And I thought, well, that's kind of like sexual immorality. It's always chasing us, and we need to be running fast away because it does mean to do us harm. Look at Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 3, it says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. The reason we need to deal with this subject is because God wants us to deal with it. It is something God wants us to address. He says, immorality, it's not even proper for it to be named among you. Some of you may have the translation that says, not even a hint of immorality ought to be named among you. Not even a little bit. And yet, it is so prevalent It's required of us to think about it, to study it, to deal with it. Um, As I began looking at this next section of Scripture, God has given us to study. Let me kind of go with you through Ephesians 5, 3 through 12, and then we'll come back to this second word, to immorality. Verse 3, But immorality or any impurity agreed must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. Verse 4, And there, there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather uh, giving of thanks. Now, I'm not going to deal so much with verse 4 because we dealt with it back in Ephesians 4.29, which says uh, no unwholesome word is supposed to come out of our mouths. Paul brings it back up, I think, because out of our mouth comes what's in our heart. And this whole immorality section is in our hearts. It's seen a lot of times in how we talk. Verse 5, For this you know with certainty... No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Catch that. This is something you and I know with certainty. This is not obscure. This is not in the dark. This is a heaven and hell message. We all know, God says, no doubt about this, this is not a gray area. We all know immoral people don't go to heaven. We know that, God says, with absolute certainty. So the person who says, well, I'm a Christian homosexual. I'm a Christian lesbian. I'm a Christian and I just happen to be sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. We know with absolute certainty you are not a Christian. God says, you, you, you know this. 
Notice the next verse, so don't be deceived. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. The person who says, that's not true. I'm still a Christian, I'm going to have... No, uh-uh, not, 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 not going to happen. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This message is really clear, yet we're in a world that wants to make it gray or dark or obscure, and it's not. Verse 7, therefore, says, do not be partakers with them. You begin to see God's messages. It's really clear Christians and non-Christians are not the same. Christians do not live like, act like, partake with non-Christians in immorality. We're not the same. One's going to heaven, one's going to hell. Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, yes. We were all born as children of wrath going to hell, but we've been redeemed out. We've been bought with a price. But now you are, verse 8, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of light consists, and we get three words. We started with three, we get down to three different words. Light consists in all goodness, and righteousness, and truth. And that's why I wanted to read the whole section and begin to see a contrast. God says, no immorality, impurity, or greed. Verse 5. Because that's not who, what you are. You are goodness, righteousness, and truth. And he's making this contrast between light and darkness, between immorality and purity. Verse 10 trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. He wants to, to make plain to us God's pleasures, God's will for our lives. Um, verse 11, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Verse 12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Now, that's interesting, that we're supposed to expose immorality, impurity, and greed, and yet he says it's, it's disgraceful to even speak about them. So it seems to me that we're to expose them, not so much by speaking about them, because he says we don't need to do that. How do you expose them? You expose them with a lifestyle of goodness. Righteousness and truth. The Christian is to be living such a life of goodness, righteousness, and truth that it exposes the non-Christian as really different, as really dark. And we're really light and blessed and on the road to heaven. So you don't have to... You don't have to fear this morning what I'm going to say. I mean, it amazes me when I, when I say something in, in, a, in a group. You know, my sermon this, this morning is on sex. Feel, oh, I can't, I don't know if I'm going to go. Because I'm going to be embarrassed. Friends, you don't ever have to fear being embarrassed when, when the preacher's job, when the preacher's practice is to expound truth, goodness, and righteousness. My job is to bring out of the Word of God, to give you the will of God. 
My job is not to, to get up here and do online searches of all the immorality in the world and talk about it. Guys, it's even disgraceful to spend your time talking about all those things. We know it's there. He says, I want you to expose what's out there by getting into what's in here. Getting into the truth. Getting into the goodness. Getting into the righteousness of Christ. And drawing it out so the people of God see how they're to live and how they're to walk. I want us to spend time on this very important subject. In Ephesians 5, you begin to see the contrast. And I couldn't do it in one message. I often try to say, how can I break this into to parts we can digest? So this week, I, I want us to deal with that second word, immorality, which is primarily about sexual immorality. But I want us to, to, to get next week into sexual uh, how to, to avoid sexual immorality, specifically in marriage. Because over and over and over and over and over again, I find kids telling me, I've never heard a theological discourse on God's will and plan for sex in marriage. I didn't know it existed. And since I didn't know there, God has designed sex for marriage, and it's holy and pure and right and good it keeps us from immorality. I didn't, I didn't know it existed, so I'm over here experimenting with other things when there's something so much better for me. And I want you to see that next week. week. I'm going to give you seven reasons for sex, okay? In marriage. And see the beauty of it. See the glory of God's design. And you'll be thrilled that there's, God has created us in such a way as to experience this that you won't want what the world has to offer because there's a huge contrast. There's such a shallowness in the sex of the world compared to the depth and the riches of the grace of God for those who are in marriage. Well, I'm getting beyond myself. So this, marriage, this message, sexual immorality, the next message, um, how do you avoid to flee sexual immorality? In marriage, let's deal with pornography. Big issue. How we can flee that. Let's deal with the LBGT movement. How we can flee that. That'll be a, a fourth message. Let's deal with the greed that's specifically mentioned, which goes into all sorts of idolatry. And let's deal with the idolatry of food. I'm going to talk about a skinny glutton before we get through, because a lot of you don't know that person exists, and he does. And how God enables us to be free from all of that. So as we just begin to deal with just this immor immoral uh, culture that we live in, we're going to be coming out of Ephesians 5 and other passages to begin to see this. But the essence is God's goodness, His truth, and His righteousness that He wants us to see. In order to deal with sexual immorality, I want to go to another passage that has it uh, in, in a, a greater way, more exhaustive. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. God's will for us sexually. Beginning there, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, God says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us in instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. Notice he's setting this up. I'm talking about how to live your lives pleasing God, just as you actually do walk, that you 
excel still more. For you know, verse 2, that what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't make this stuff up. This is God's word. This is God's will. Pay attention. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Stop right there. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Some of you may have the translation, holiness. This is the will of God, your holiness. And if you were to say, uh, what does that mean? He says, that is, I want to make it real clear, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And if you, well, kind of what does that mean? Well, and, and you will have the Greek word, or some of you may have the marginal note, fornication, which means sex committed by one or more outside the bounds of marriage. So people who are not married, male and female, committing sexual acts, I want you to abstain from that. This is the will of God for your life. It's amazing to me. People come and say, I need some help. I need some counseling. I said, okay, what's going on? Well, I'm, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. And I really just don't know what God's will is. I don't know what to do. And I say, open the Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, and read to me verse 3. And they read to me verse 3, for the will of God is your sanctification, that is, if you abstain from sexual immorality. And they say, okay. And I'm saying, what? What? Okay. Do you not get it? Yeah. What should I do? My, my boyfriend says, if I love him, I will sleep with him. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Read it again. This is not rocket science. It says the will of God for your life is that you do not sleep with him. You abstain from sexual immorality. This is not in the gray area. This is extremely clear. Maybe you need to memorize this verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, so that the Holy Spirit can remind you when you get in these tempting situations. What is God's will for my life? God, I just don't know. God will scream at you. My will for your life is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Maybe you need to memorize this first when you're turning on the computer and all sorts of pornography um, ads come your way. God's will for my life is that I abstain from sexual immorality. This is so plain. You know, it didn't say God's will for your life is that you vote in the next election and secure social prosperity for all of us. It's important that you vote, but that's not what it said. It didn't say God's will for your life is that you go out and reach the lost. That's a good thing, but that's not what it says. I mean, this is a subject God wants to scream at us and make it so plain we can't escape it. God's will for your life is to abstain from sexual immorality. So why do we have so many people going around saying, I just don't know what to do? You see, this is not dark, hidden, difficult. It's very plain. 
I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, I just don't know what to do about my situation. Yes, you do. It's right here. It's very clear. If you've got lustful passions for sex outside marriage, uh uh-uh, abstain from it. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. I mean, you know Exodus uh, 20. Uh, talks about the seventh. The seventh commandment talks about adultery. Why is that command there? It's to keep us from harming marriage. God wants us to have marriage. First Corinthians seven, verse two. Again, really plain, simple. Says because of immoralities. Because immoralities. That would be sex outside of marriage. Because of immoralities, each man. That's the male gender is to have his own wife, female gender, and each woman, female gender, is to have her own husband, male gender. Very plain. Because of immoralities. I don't want you to be involved in immorality. I want you to abstain from it. And so because of that, I have designed life so that every man, male, would have his own wife, female. They would have sex together. And sex would not occur outside of that union. We'll get into that some more next week. But because of immoralities. God said, my people should not be participating in immoralities. They should be abstaining. So remember God's will again. I mean, how are you doing with that? Are you... In bondage to pornography addictions? Are you pornography? Are you bound to fantasies outside the marriage? With someone other than your husband or wife? God says, abstain, abstain, abstain. That should not be occurring. Because it's my will for your life. It's what pleases me that you abstain from sexual immorality. But, well... We've already committed the sin. I don't know how many times I've heard this. We've already committed the sin, and we're engaged to be married. So she will soon be my wife. She will soon be my husband. And we've already entered into that sexual relationship. So what do we do now? I said, pick up your Bible and read 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It doesn't say, with the exception that you're a fiancé. It says, no, you are not married. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain. This is clear. This is God's will for your life. There is no gray area here. And yet we're constantly trying to create one when God constantly says, listen, listen, listen. So we must eliminate sexual immorality from our lives. Why? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, Verse 3, 1 Thessalonians. It's God's will. That's why we should do it. God has determined we should do it. He not only says it's His will, His will is always His pleasure. This is what pleases Him. This is what makes Him happy. This is what turns Him on. Is that His people are living consistent with goodness, truth, and righteousness. We are to be conformed to His image to His holiness. And so He wants us to delight Him, to please Him. Do it for God. Why should you do this? Do it for God. 
who has saved you, who's been gracious to you. He saved your life. What can I do, O oh God, to, to respond to you? Do this. Abstain from sexual immorality. Second, do it for honor. Notice verse 4 adds to. It says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in holiness or sanctification. And then it adds the phrase, and honor. This is honorable to be faithful sexually. It's not shameful. It doesn't create disgrace. This is the way to honor. So I'm talking to that engaged couple. I said, yes, you should abstain from sexual immorality until you're married. Do it for honor. Honor your future spouse this way. Demonstrate to them faithfulness, goodness, and your allegiance to the truth. So that you enter into marriage as those who are honorable. Who your spouse can, can be proud of and exalt with great respect for. Immorality is, is shameful. It's why we, it's secret. It's why we want to hide. It's why we want to do it alone a lot of times. It's because there's no honor in it. Uh, there's great honor in purity, in goodness, and in truth. And we know that uh, to be faithful. Do it for God. Do it for honor. Do it for love. Verse 6. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother. Circle the word defraud there. Think about it. What does defraud mean? It means to disgrace. It means to shame. It means to abuse. So if, if you engage in immoral practices, you're abusing this girl, this guy. You're shaming this person. You're disgracing this person. You're defrauding this person. If you love me, people say, then you'll sleep with me. Now, you see, well, if I did that, it wouldn't be love. It would be disgrace. It would be abuse. It would be shame. You've got it backwards. If I love you, I would be pure. I would be faithful. I would be honorable. I would be someone you could respect if I loved you. So easy to get deceived and tricked. Do it for love. Everyone knows what you love is what's pure and right and good. So do it for love. Do it for honor. Do it for God. Do it for peace. As verse 6 continues, it says that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the manner because the Lord is the avenger. In all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. What does that mean? God is the avenger. His wrath will be poured out. These things are often done in secret. They're often done in the back seat. They're often done in the dark. They're often done hidden. It says, God is the avenger. He sees. He rights the wrongs. He remembers. He stores up wrath. He says, remember, you don't want to face God as an immoral person. Why? The immoral person doesn't go to heaven. Remember, God is the avenger. And did you notice this? The Lord is the avenger. Catch the next three words, four words. In all these things. Things. God is not just the avenger 
when a nation goes against a nation. God is not just the avenger when somebody is a murderer. God is the avenger in, what are we talking about? Sexual immorality. In these things. When you're in the back seat with your girlfriend or boyfriend, God is the avenger in these things when you're alone in the dark. God is the avenger in these things. So, if you want peace before God, you want purity, goodness, righteousness, and truth before God. That's what I want. Which is why my wife and I spent time, and I encourage you to spend time, saying, God, in this area of sexual immorality, there's times when we've messed up. There's times when we've gone too far. There's times when we've thought wrong thoughts. And Lord, we want cleansing. Lord, we want forgiveness. Lord, we want mercy. Because God, we want to stand before you in peace. We want the righteousness of Christ to cover us. We want the blood of Christ to wash us clean from all sin. Because we know these things tick you off. They make your wrath boil. And and we want to stand before you as one who is in Christ and cleansed. If you've not done that, friends, do it. Do it today. You want to be at peace with God. And the way to be at peace with God is to be standing in the righteousness of Christ. You need to flee your sins and embrace Christ as your only covering, as the one who can cleanse you and take you to this peaceful place. Well, let me take you to an elimination strategy. Let's say you're caught, and this is really an issue that's been dealing with you. There's many tactical things you can do, and I'm not going to spend time on them. Most of you know what those tactical things are. In other words, if you've got certain places of temptation or certain people of temptation, tactically speaking, you should stay away from that. That's a tactical move. I shouldn't go where harm is at or be around the people that are constantly, you know, coming after me. There's lots of things like that you can deal with. I may be, need to be guarding my own line time. I need turn my computer off and may need accountability. There's all of that. And a lot of people focus on that, but there's so much, there's something greater than that, and that's what I want to get to. Uh, look down at verse 4 and 5. It says, each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So there's something here you know. What is it? Verse 5, not in lustful passion, that's the, the contrast, like the Gentiles or the non-Christians. And here's the phrase, who do not know God. The big difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is the non-Christian does not know God, which means the Christian does know God. And the thing that will help us eliminate our old life is to embrace our new life, and our new life is in the knowledge of of God. So, knowing God is the key that distinguishes us from the non-Christian. Knowing God is the key to elimination of immorality. That's what God's given us. He says, knowledge of me, knowledge of my will. It's not my will that you be immoral, but that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
You see, knowing God enables us to know His will. It enables us to know His power. It enables us to know His strength. It enables us to know His purity. It enables us to know His righteousness. We, we are empowered with so much more just through knowing God. And so what I want to encourage you to do to to escape and to flee immorality is to know God. Now, first thought that comes to my head is, well, I know people who know God who are still caught in immorality. In this life and in the Bible, let's take King David for an example. He was a man who clearly knew God and yet committed sexual immorality, committed adultery with Bathsheba. But the text is very clear. That when David, I mean, he even starts with this clarification. When David starts down the path of adultery, he is not pursuing a knowledge of God. He is not pursuing God. This text tells us he was irresponsible. He's running from God as he runs to adultery. And that's the case of every one of us. Every time we are running towards sexual immorality, we're running away from God. So the key is to be running the other way, to be running to God. That's what Christians do. The non-Christians always running away, hoping to escape, and there's no escape except in Christ. So if we're going to escape, if we're going to flee immorality, we must be those who are running towards God, not away. You'll see this over and over and over. I'll give you a few passages. Look at Romans 1, 21 through 28. Romans 1, 21 through 28 says, For even though they knew God, so you begin to get to right off the clue. Wait, they know God, but they're, they're obviously going to be running away. Even though they knew God, they did not honor God as God. So there's no interest here in God's will, His pleasure, They're going the other way. Or give thanks. They're not here worshiping. But they became futile in their speculations. So instead of being filled with the knowledge of God, they're starting to think their own thoughts instead of thinking God's thoughts. And their foolish heart was darkened. So instead of coming to the light, they go to the dark. Professing to be wise. This is what I think instead of saying, what does God think? And they became fools. Verse 23. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading Passion, sexual immorality, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. You see the language here as we saw in 1 Thessalonians and in Ephesians 5. Do that which is proper before God, which is abstain from sexual immorality. When you're not pursuing God, you're going to eventually be pursuing sexual immorality. Lustful passions, pleasures of the creature rather than the pleasures 
of the Creator. Knowing God is crucial. Look at one more passage, then I'll uh, get back to 1 Thessalonians. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Key passage, I'll come to it again next week as well. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 18. It says, flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee immorality. And every other sin that man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man, the sexually immoral man, sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now think about this a minute. Because there's a big movement in America that says, what happens in your body is of no consequence. The real you, the real person, is that person you feel inside. God says, wait, wait, wait. Your body is of consequence. Don't you know? Your body, not your inner soul, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to glorify God in your, your inner man. No, in your body. In your body. Because your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Why would you put into your body where God dwells a non-God? Something that's immoral. Something that's impure. God's holy. God's pure. God's righteous. Why would you put God's light? Why would you put in darkness? Why would you put in unrighteousness? Why would you put in unholiness? Why would you put in impurities when God is there? God can no more dwell with sin than a match with gasoline. I mean, it, it just can't happen. Why would you do this? He says, so flee immorality. Because you can't be filling yourself up with God if you're filling yourself up with immorality. The key to the Christian life is to be constantly filled with the Spirit, filling yourself up with God. And your body is the filling of God. It's the dwelling of God. It's the temple of God. The key to living the Christian life is constantly being filled with the Spirit so that you can produce the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits, is self-control against all immorality. So that in order for us to be flee, fleeing sexual immorality, we must be focused on knowing and receiving God more and more and more. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of God that you can focus on and that you, that you, can, you, you can just have as, as your target as you wake up in the morning to flee immorality. God, give me this of you that I can escape bondage to sin, that I can escape this immoral temptation that's constantly running after me. Three things about God. First of all, I want you to think, I want you to know that God is tolerant. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a beautiful phrase a lot of people skip over. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we request... And we exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk 
and please God, and catch the little parentheses, just as you actually walk. Catch this. That you excel still more. Now, what does that tell you? Stop and think about that. What does that tell you about God? Paul says, Fine, I, I want to tell you something about God. God sees you. God observes you. God knows your habits. He knows your life. He knows He has saved you and He's redeemed you. And as a result of that, you have started walking according to God. And that's wonderful because that's, that's at a higher level. That's at a higher plane. That's so much more excellent than the way the non-Christian walks. That's take. I mean, you were dark, now you're light. It is awesome that you've made that progress. But God also knows you're not there yet. God knows that you still have a lot of pressing on to do. God knows He chose you to be conformed to the image of Christ, and you're not there. God knows that none of you, none of me, none of us are perfect. So God sees me every day as a sinner that is not attain to perfection, that I'm not completely righteous? Yes, but he says, work on it. Excel more. That means we have a God who can be real. He can be honest. He can know we mess up. He can know we're sinners still. He can know we're caught in a bad place. And he can handle that. And he can take us from there to a better place. And he says, I want to I teach you. I want to instruct you. You've had instruction from the Lord. I want to instruct you so that you can excel even more. How awesome is that? Because we've all been at that place. We're at that place now where, God, I'm such a mess today. I'm so not perfect. I'm so not where I need to be. And God says, I know that, but I want to take you there. I want to take you from this excellent place I brought you to an even more excellent place in Christ. You wake up and see a God who has mercy, a God who has forgiveness, a God who extends grace to sinners, who knows we haven't arrived yet but is willing to embrace us right there and take us on. That's what, that's the beginning place to being free from immorality. If you're displaced, God will never see me. God will never look at me. God will never want me. You're not going to get down the road. But if you're displaced, no, God understands where I'm at. And God wants to take me from there and he wants to take me on. You see, you can move. And that's where this passage begins. Saying God knows exactly where you are and He's willing to instruct you right there and take you to another place that's more excellent and more gracious. Glory in, I don't have to fear where I am. God will take me where I'm at. And God will take me beyond. Second, so know that God's tolerant to a degree, obviously. Know that God is tough. Verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Think about that. God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What I want you to see is God gives you 
And we spent a lot of weeks on the Holy Spirit. God gives you, in the Holy Spirit, every tough thing you need to deal with tough sins. Like sexual immorality. Why? Because He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Spirit. You remember 1 John 4, 4? Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. You have greater power and strength in the Holy Spirit than anything Satan has to offer. Satan comes tempting you. Satan, I don't have to listen to you. You have to listen to me. You have to flee. Because I belong to Christ and His Spirit is in me. And Satan flees. And you get to exercise self-control and purity and righteousness, which is why you begin today being filled with the Spirit. That gives you the toughness. That gives you the strength. That gives you the power you need against every temptation that comes your way. You have a God who's tolerating you, who's being merciful to you, then a God who is filling you with great power and strength against every form of evil. When your focus is on God and being filled with God, He grants you this. Um, Jesus said in John 15, 5, he says, Abide in me. He says, like a branch in the vine. He says, Abide in me, and you'll produce fruit. If, if you're constantly in me, dwelling in me, my spirit is in you, and you will produce fruit. It gives you the toughness not to be broken apart. It gives you the toughness to keep it together because you have the strength the energy, the knowledge of Christ in you. So focus on God's tolerance, His toughness in you. Third, focus on God is a treasure. Wow. Verse 8, I don't want you to miss the word gives. God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. What does God give again? God gives God. God gives God. He gives, this passage is already talked about, He gives you God's righteousness. He gives you Christ. He gives you His Spirit. Keeps going in. What does God give? He gives you an unbelievable treasure in that He gives to you God. And Jesus talked about it as a, the pearl of great price. That if you knew the only thing you had to do to heaven, God says, if you will give me a hundred, well, a hundred million more dollars than you currently have. Some of you may have already have a hundred. If you have a hundred, but you need a hundred million more than you currently have, and I will let you buy heaven. You'll say, okay, okay. And you work, you work, you work, you work. Why? Because heaven's worth gaining if you're going to spend eternity there. But God says, look, if if that were the, the gospel, if that was the good news, that for a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, you could gain heaven. If that were the gospel, it's not. But if it were, you would sell everything you had to gain it because it's worth it. But the good news is you don't have to sell anything. You don't have to earn it. God says, I give it to you freely. That's an unbelievable treasure that has been gifted to you. And when you see that, when the Apostle Paul finally realized that, you see this in Philippians 7, 
Paul says, I was doing everything I possibly could to earn heaven. He says, man, I was righteous. I was righteous. I was reading the Bible. I was memorizing the Bible. I knew the law backwards and forwards. He says, I was the best person that ever existed. And then I came face to face with Christ, and I realized Christ was a treasure. He says, and when I saw that, I counted everything I had ever done, everything I had ever hoped for to be mere rubbish that I might gain Christ, who is of surpassing value. He says, so I press on that I could just know Christ. And when we awake in the mornings with that kind of reality, that I have been given mercy, I have been filled with the Spirit, and on top of those two wonderful gifts, I have been given Christ Jesus as Lord. His righteousness and His blood. Then you are overwhelmed with God. What is your will for my life? And God says, my will for your life is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Done. Because I have the power to. I have the strength to. I have the knowledge to. I have the freedom to. I have the motivation to. And I, I get to embrace all that Christ is for that. It's so wonderful. And the world has none of it. You won't get this message in public ed. This is how you abstain. It's not a why wait conference. This is the truth of the Word of God that changes us radically so that we have the power to live and please our God. Watch your sexual impurities wash away as you focus on the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God as you're filled with the power of God in the Spirit and as you begin to see the unbelievable treasure and gift God has has given you in Christ. We come and take the Lord's Supper this morning. When we were down Hilton Head a few weeks ago at a good church that didn't have the Lord's Supper afterwards, uh, my four-year-old said, well, why didn't they have the Lord's Supper? And I don't, there's plenty of churches who don't. The, the thought in my mind without being negative on other churches because we were there for so long, my thought is I guess I just don't want to wrap it all up, the, the, the preacher's message with coming to Christ really coming and really dealing with sin because you can't come to this table, can't take of these elements without really dealing with sin. Do you want to wash, have your sins washed away? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Christ. Do you want the righteousness of Christ? This is your time to say, God, let me take Jesus as my own. I want His body. I want His righteous body in me. I want His blood to take away my sin and cover me. I want to be united. I want to abide in Christ like bread and wine abide in me. I, that's what I want. Because I endeavor to, to walk out in new obedience changed by the righteous blood of Christ. So if that's what you want this morning then you're invited to take of the bread and take of the wine as that 
symbol which reminds you that Spirit is in this place to fill you with Christ. And you want to proclaim as you eat and as you drink, Christ died for me. And He is mine and I'm His and I abide in Him and He abides in me. And I will endeavor to live His will in this life. If that's not you, you just meditate on that and let the plate and the cup go by. But this is our time to deal with sin and to ask God to apply His Word. So right where you are, let's, let's do that. Let me pray, and I'm going to ask the officers to come forward then. Let's pray. Father, take the Word of God, Your truth, Your will, and convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. We need to know reality, not as we've been deceived to think about it, but as you, you express it, as it is. Father, take our sins. We've, we've all got secret sins. We've got things we've done in the dark. Lord, bring them to light. Convict us now and let them be washed away. Let us see the mercy of God. Let us see our need for the righteousness of Christ. And let us come to the treasure that is gifted to us by you. Cleanse us and let us take this meal rightly as those who want to flee all sin, as those who want to run to God and be made whole and righteous in Christ. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.